1: General Motors made huge news in January when the car maker announced that by 2035 every car they'd sell would be a zero emissions vehicle. Yep, no more internal combustion engines. Volvo made their announcement four years ago and Volkswagen soon followed suit. During the pandemic, we saw a glimmer of hope of what can happen with fewer cars on the road. Global carbon emissions dipped big time. Now the U.S. House of Representatives is pushing Governor J.B. Pritzker and other governors to act with urgency on carbon emissions. Here with more on that is our sustainability contributor, Karen Weigert. She's senior VP at Slipstream, a clean energy innovation nonprofit. Karen also served as chief sustainability officer for the city of Chicago. Karen, welcome back. Thanks for having me. What exactly is the governor being asked to do?
2: The governor's being asked to accelerate this transition to electric vehicles, but specifically he's being asked about heavy and medium-duty trucks and buses, so not the passenger vehicles that people might jump into when they're running their errands. And it's really being driven by a couple of resolutions that were passed in Springfield from both the House and the Senate, and he's being asked to join a memorandum of understanding that has already been signed by about 15 other states. But this MOU, as it's called, is about a goal of 100% zero-emission new truck and bus sales by 2050. So it's really a goal about addressing carbon pollution where transportation is the largest source and it's looking at air pollution when you think of nitrogen oxides or particulate matters, those things that we're breathing in. So this is an attempt to really move another sector of transportation forward.
1: How well is our state positioned in the EV truck industry?
2: we're actually a pretty big user, so if you start with that side, you know, Cook County is essentially the freight gateway in North America, with half a billion tons of freight moving on the highways every year. And then we've got massive growth that we're seeing across the country, really, in warehouses and e-commerce. But what's interesting on the other side is that Illinois actually has strength in the EV truck industry. We've talked about Rivian and others that have locations here in Illinois. And then just last month, Lion Electric Company out of Canada announced that they will be building their first-ever U.S. factory in Joliet to build electric school buses. So both sides of this potential story of trucks and school buses have roots and connections to jobs and economic opportunity here in Mm -hmm. Illinois. Interesting.
1: Well, let's turn to an expert on the issue, Karen. Brian Urbaszewski is with us. He is Director of Environmental Health Programs at the Chicago-based Respiratory Health Association. Hi, Brian. Welcome back to Reset. Hi. Glad to be back. I want to start with the basics. What are medium and heavy-duty vehicles?
3: Generally, when you're talking about medium and heavy-duty vehicles, you're talking about something bigger than a passenger vehicle, so something 8,500 pounds or, or heavier. So a good thumbnail um, example is like a Ford F-250 big work pickup truck and larger is where you start getting into that uh, category. And it goes all the way up to, you know, small trucks, big box trucks, Amazon vans, all the way to the bigger trucks, buses, and the semi-tractors that are out there.
1: Then what qualifies as a zero emission vehicle?
3: Well, a zero emission vehicle is uh, defined as an on road vehicle, so something that has a license plate and tires with a drivetrain that produces zero exhaust emissions of any criteria pollutant. So anything that would cause, you know, like a smog uh, problem or any greenhouse gas under any possible operational modes or conditions. So basically, uh, when you come to think of it, uh, it either has no tailpipe or if it has a tailpipe, absolutely nothing bad is coming out of it.
1: So we're talking about this memo of understanding that is uh, being signed by 15 states in Washington, D.C., and uh, our governor is, of course, being asked to sign it as well. what does the memo of understanding do, Brian, and and how could Illinois achieve the goals of 30 percent zero emission vehicles by 2030 and 100 percent by 2050?
3: It's a non-binding agreement between the states that are working on this issue or or trying to tackle uh, addressing global warming and local air pollution. They want to work on uh, ways to sell more medium and heavy duty zero emission vehicles with the goal of creating a self-sustaining market for those vehicles. So the states signing on to the MOU are going to coordinate with a multi-state task force that serves as a forum for collaboration and information sharing uh, for the states on market enabling actions, research, technology developments. And for Illinois, after signing the MOU, Illinois would convene stakeholders, including manufacturers, charging and fueling providers, community and environmental advocates, utilities, corporate fleet owners financial institutions and a lot of others to receive input on a state, creating a state action plan. And the action plan would lay out how Illinois would achieve the 2030 and the 2050 goals.
1: And are we positioned to, to achieve them?
3: You know, I believe so. It's an interesting uh, time that we're living in. And I was just hearing some of the preliminary uh, talk about, you know, where, where Illinois is right now. And whereas we didn't have an electric vehicle industry, uh, you know, a year ago, it's now grown out out of almost nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a big electric vehicle, medium and heavy duty vehicle factory that's being built in Joliet. The Rivian factory in Downstate Normal has a contract to build one hundred thousand Amazon electric delivery vans, medium, big, medium duty vehicles. Um, so, I, you know. What, what's going on in Illinois is already, like, <laughs> happening before we even take action to start to, uh, you know, move the entire state in this general direction. Uh, the market is, is demanding that these vehicles be made and sold, and that, that's good for Illinois.
1: Well, I want to hear from both you and Karen on, on this, because uh, let's talk about infrastructure. What does that look like, Brian? I'll go to you first. For instance, like, how will all these battery-powered vehicles be charged?
3: Well, you know, there's actually kind of two parts to this. And and it's kind of the what and the how. When you talk about the what, I mean, likely most of the charging equipment that's going to go in to charge these vehicles is going to be privately owned. Some of it will be publicly owned or publicly subsidized as well. Companies are going to own or lease or rent charging equipment on on their sites. Uh, And then we're going to have some highway focused chargers as well. I think Two, it's looking at this in terms of what Illinois is doing, opportunities to make this happen are likely going to come out of the state energy bill that's being worked on in Springfield still right now. Um, And future federal programs are also going to help build this infrastructure out as well. Mm -hmm. We expect state energy policy is going to focus on helping with the upfront charging infrastructure costs and investment for public fleets, especially like transit agencies, So they can tap into the long-term lower operating costs, as well as the environmental benefits uh, that electric vehicles are going to bring. And we're also strongly advocating for the state support to focus that infrastructure funding on electrifying vehicles that spend a lot of time in environmental justice communities. Because those are the areas that are already facing a higher health burden from local air pollution sources. So that's the what. Um, And then how is another thing. That's in addition to that. When we talk about how uh, it's going to operate differently than the diesel system works now. Right now, probably about 85% of electric car charging is done at home overnight. People plug in the car and it's fully charged in the morning. Most people use public charging stations, but not really that frequently. It's not like a gas station model. And similarly, bigger vehicles will probably be charged where they're parked for long periods of time parking lots, depots, warehouses, truck stops. Uh, and mostly at night when electricity is cheap, but we're also going to need to build out that infrastructure along highways for that, you know, that, that other 15%. Yeah. So getting the amount of electricity needed is also going to be another challenge. I mean, because a lot of trucks are going to pull a lot of power. So this is also going to require upgrades to the electric grid. But one of the interesting things is, is that this really dovetails nicely with our push for clean energy in Illinois you know we're building a lot of wind turbines in Illinois mm-hmm. they produce electricity at night when no one really needs a lot of power so a lot of them shut down because there's just nowhere for that power to go and people think we need to build big battery warehouses to store all that wind power for later use but the reality is is when you talk about big electric trucks that's exactly what they do they're basically just big storage batteries on wheels and as we get more renewable power on the grid and when the wind blows those electric trucks and buses can soak up that other otherwise wasted power during the nighttime hours when people just don't need it for much else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Karen, what can you add to the infrastructure conversation?
2: Well, when we think about infrastructure, it's, it's always nice to actually see where it's working. And the CTA actually put six electric buses into rotation earlier this year. They'd had two from a few years ago. But these six are they're actually... Uh, route number 66, so they're running to Navy Pier, and they actually put some additional charging infrastructure at the turnaround at Navy Pier, and then when they head back out along Chicago into the turnaround, they put a little infrastructure in there too. So we actually have an example right now where you can see some of these larger electric vehicles, and then you don't necessarily notice, but there was some infrastructure that had to go in so that these buses could start on this route. Uh
1: Well, Brian, how do the goals in the MOU compare with some of the commitments that vehicle manufacturers have made?
3: Well, again, you know, going back to what you said at the beginning of this piece, things are moving incredibly quickly. Uh, not only here in Illinois, but nationally and internationally. On this, uh, in this frame, it's kind of hard to compare directly. But generally, I mean, we think it's in the same ballpark. If you look at some of the recent commitments, it's it's just really astonishing. GM is saying only electric cars and trucks by twenty thirty five. Daimler is shooting for up to twenty five percent EV sales by twenty twenty five. Ford says 40% of its sales will be EVs by 2030. VW says 50%. And by 2030, Ford expects two-thirds of its commercial vehicle sales to be either all-electric or plug-in hybrid. They're even saying that they're only going to sell electric commercial vehicles in Europe after 2030. Mm -hmm. So things are moving incredibly quickly. It's a question of are we going to be able to capture the value, um, the lower operating costs, the less global warming pollution, the lower amounts of air pollution we'd have to breathe locally, uh, and being able to plan and, and ensure that there's a smooth rollout. And that's what this MOU is all about.
1: So Karen, just so we're clear, what is needed then for the state to join onto this MOU?
2: So this is an MOU that has been signed by about 15 other states. It's really a a state-level effort that started actually started last year. And what Illinois needs to do, it's essentially the governor can sign it. So it's got support from the House and the Senate. There's not a, a huge process. It's about is this a fit for Illinois' future, and the governor can sign it if it is a fit for Illinois' future. But you heard a lot about the foundation that's already in place. So it's really about accelerating some positive trends that we're starting to see.
1: Well, Brian and Karen, as you know, climate change impacts certain communities more than others. So let's now get an on-the-ground perspective uh, as part of this discussion. Kim Wasserman is joining us. She is the executive director of the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization on Chicago's southwest side. Now, in 2013, Kim actually won the Goldman Environmental Prize that's the world's most prestigious environmental award for her role in the 10-year campaign to close the Fisk and Crawford coal plants in Chicago. Hi, Kim, welcome back to Reset.
0: Thank you so much for having me, really appreciate it.
1: So Kim, I want you to tell us first about your work with the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. What do you guys do?
0: So our work is really around um, ensuring that all communities, but particularly low-income communities of color in Chicago have access to clean water, clean land and clean air. Um, unfortunately, in see city like Chicago, one would think that that's something that all communities have access to. But unfortunately, environmental racism has shown us that it is not. So our work is really around justice for our environment.
1: Your research reveals that um, Chicago's South Lawndale community currently has the second worst air quality in the state. How could this MOU support a cleaner environment in that and in similar communities?
0: Absolutely. You know, what we're seeing in our neighborhood is it's not by chance that we have the second worst air quality. It is through the systematic decision-making by the city to continue to put more and more warehouses along the I-55 corridor, which is where South Lawndale currently resides. And so, for us, this memorandum of understanding really pushes the button on what is possible in communities where um, air pollution is already an issue. And how do we not just mitigate, but how do we actually reduce harms? in our communities they are already suffering. And so this MOU, I think, really pushes the city to have to ask for more than just jobs, um, have to ask for more than just construction jobs, quite honestly, and actually start to demand real uh, benefits to the communities um, that surround them.
1: What do you mean by that? Uh, how else can the city reduce these harms? What, what should be, they be asking for?
0: You know, right now, we just have been fighting um, the Hilco Target warehouse in our neighborhood, and um, the best that we could get in that was solar-ready on the roof. The roof does not have any solar power to our neighborhood or to the building. None of the vehicles are electric. Um, and in a neighborhood already with the second worst air quality, this 1 million square foot Target warehouse is only going to compound more air quality issues. The city had a chance, has the opportunity to demand that these companies go electric. We're talking about Target here. They are not broke. They have right. the resources to go electric. They're choosing not to. And so it's become clear to us since the fight to shut down the coal power plant that if we aren't demanding for our own community nobody's going to do it for us unfortunately so we're demanding the target electrify in the first year there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to do that and this mou helps push that conversation in an equitable manner so that people aren't just raking in money from doing this but are actually centering those communities most impacted and that they get to see the benefits of this electrification first and foremost
1: how can we ensure that essential businesses like small diesel repair shops And new job and training opportunities are are centered in these communities that are impacted most by diesel pollution.
0: As part of the MOU, what we're really asking for is that the governor commit to a process that's inclusive and that is based on equity. Um, We really want to see those businesses, those communities, again, most impacted, centered. You know, small business owners don't necessarily know what's happening in Springfield. (laughs) They don't necessarily know about this electrification conversation. And so we're putting in the work, and we believe that the governor's office needs to support the work in reaching out to these small businesses that are in our communities to talk with them and figure out how can we ensure that they are first in line to be able to which technology how do we ensure that folks are getting trained in our neighborhoods right now there is no conversation when it comes to these warehouses for our communities to be guaranteed a certain percentage of jobs that needs to change along with this MOU um, getting signed so for us it's really about ensuring again that the communities that are seeing these warehouses with little to no benefit are actually seeing a benefit to these uh, land use decisions that are being made in our neighborhood so jobs we want to ensure that these folks are first and foremost in line to be able to um, be able to cash in if you will to this
1: change how can impacted communities actually get involved in the mou process
0: First and foremost, calling the representatives, calling the, the governor's office to sign on. And I think, two, demanding, as I mentioned, that this process be equitable, yeah. that this process have a diverse uh, group of stakeholders, um, that this process talk with EJ communities, environmental justice communities, that they talk with the communities where these warehouses and these trucks are currently located, um, and that they not just include the the business owners, but also the fleet owners. A lot of these companies lease out their trucks, and so we need to make sure that we're really gathering the whole swath of conversation. And then lastly, there needs to be health benchmarks. This just can't be, well, we put up X amount of stations and we're done. There really needs to be benchmarks around reduction of health issues um, and cleaner air in our city quite and in our state, quite honestly.
1: Kim, you mentioned um, the I-55 corridor. So as Chicago and The surrounding suburbs invest in more warehouses along that corridor. For those of us who really don't understand, Mm -hmm. what is the impact of these types of land use decisions?
0: Absolutely. You know, I think when we talk to folks, one of the first things we, we talk about is how many more trucks are you seeing on the street? Right. Like if you haven't noticed the diesel trucks before, hopefully this conversation will get you to see them Mm -hmm. and really start to ask, well, how many are in my neighborhood? Right. How many more am I seeing on I-55? How many more am I seeing literally all across the southwest, south and southeast sides? We're seeing a lot of industry leave or being moved out of the north side into our neighborhoods. Most of the railroads and intermodal facilities are on the south side. This is not by chance. Right. And so for us, these land use decisions means we're seeing more infrastructure deteriorate. We're seeing more accidents on our streets. Every week now we're seeing trucks stuck under viaducts, trucks that have flipped over, trucks that have caught on fire. So it is literally just uh, craziness out there right now with just no oversight around the trucks in Chicago and in the state and where they're going and how they're impacting. And this MOU process really needs to talk about do we need. Uh, an authority to oversee all the trucks in Illinois. Do we need an institution of some kind to just understand where all the again these trucks going and what is happening? Because right now, nobody knows anything. No, nope. it's mm-hmm. just a lot of incidences that are happening on our streets and on our highways, and our infrastructure is paying the price for those decisions.
1: Well, Kim, can you tell us more about what's been happening in local legislation around environmental justice?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, we've been seeing these decisions being made. We've been trying to advocate at a city level for health and, and energy to be part uh, health, excuse me, health and environment to be part of the conversation locally with these land use decisions. And unfortunately, the mayor hasn't really paid attention to our demands. So we've been going to the state to really try to work with the governor's office and our legislators to introduce environmental justice bills. Um, It was introduced by Representative Sonia Harper. Unfortunately, it wasn't voted on this session, but it's really around ensuring that health and environment are considered in these land use decisions, especially since we're talking about not just so much land, but again, so many trucks being then deployed onto our streets. And so this bill really emphasizes health and environment, but also uh, more language um, offerings of information, uh, communities um, having a better voice in the process. Um, So it really tries to expand the definition of environmental justice on a statewide
1: level. I mentioned as I was introducing you that you won the prestigious Goldman Environmental Prize back in 2013. I wonder how your um, the campaign that you, you ran that led to the award, how that work connects to what we're talking about today.
0: Absolutely. You know, the coal power plant closures were really about the same thing. is We just want to breathe. <laughs> we just want to <laughs> breathe in our neighborhood. Yeah. And the coal power plant was killing us. And now that coal power plant, that site of injustice for so many years, has now been replaced with a warehouse with hundreds of trucks that are now leading to more air pollution, right? So we went from injustice to more injustice. And so the fight of the coal power plant, I think, is just a continuation that we want to see more just land use development in our communities and that we no longer will stand by to be sacrificed with these decisions that are being made. And so our neighborhood is continuing, unfortunately, to have to fight for a right to breathe in our neighborhood and in our city.
1: Well, Karen, we mentioned at the top how the, the major car makers have promised to make strides in, in, in zero carbon emissions. How can the Midwest make greater strides as well?
2: This conversation today about this specific memorandum of understanding is a starting point, if Illinois were to sign it, Illinois would be the first state in the Midwest actually to sign. And this is a structure that includes expectations around creating an action plan, actually engaging with disadvantaged communities those who have suffered the most from the current situation so if multiple states in the midwest signed you then have a structure to work together to include everyone who's impacted in the decision making and then to look specifically about that how do you actually transition from the current fleets and the current vehicles today into tomorrow. And so you do get into huge questions of infrastructure, You know, particularly for vehicles that are on the road. You need infrastructure in Illinois, and you need it next door, and the next state over as you're driving as well, or you can't actually contri- complete your trip if you're electric. So there's a huge amount of collaboration that needs to happen on the infrastructure side. But really, it starts with that broad engagement in the vision and inclu- an inclusive approach to setting that vision that is specific. So this is about 100 percent zero-emission trucks and buses by 2050. If multiple states had that view together in the Midwest, that's a different platform that we could look toward.
1: Well, that is Karen Weigert, Senior Vice President at Slipstream. That's a clean energy innovation nonprofit. And she also served as Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Chicago. And Karen was joined by Brian Urbiszewski of the Respiratory Health Association and Kim Wasserman, Executive Director of the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Thank you all. And that's today's Reset. Keep an eye on this podcast for more great conversations around the way we think about our cities and our planet's future. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and we'll meet again tomorrow.